So hi Tobias, how are you? Hi Adam, I'm fine. So uh, what interests me? Um, what was your first Hello World? Which language was it? Oh, <laughs> that's embarrassing. It was Visual Basic, actually. <laughs> Which year? Oh, um, let me guess. Uh, 1945? Uh, no, I think it was the year 2000. 2000? Oh, not bad. And then? Um, then I stayed with Visual Basic for a while. Um, my friends also got into programming, and uh, a couple of guys used Delphi, Turbo Pascal. <laughs> and then actually, I pretty quickly transversed to, to Java. I how, had this... how it happened? Yeah. Um, so, you know, my father's also in IT, mm -hmm. and he had these two huge books. Uh, it was um, a, a book about Java and a cookbook about Java with examples in it. And we had this long uh, vacation in Spain. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I wasn't really interested in sports or anything. I was like 15 or 14. And um, yeah, I took the books to the beach and I started reading. And I really found it interesting. And it was my first experience with uh, object-oriented programming um, because well, Visual Basic wasn't uh, <clears throat> that strict in OOP like, uh, like Java. And um, yeah, I just read the books. And when I got home, <laughs> I got to the computer and tried out a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. before all the laptops were available for kids like me. <laughs> so how old were you with the uh, with Visual Basic? So you were 15 with Java. And um, just, mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess like uh, 13. Okay. So, yeah. And why you did it? Uh, just out of curiosity. So there was always a, a computer in my home um, from 386 to Pentium 1. Um, and I used to play little games with my brother together. Mm -hmm. um, but then I got curious how these things work. And we just started um, building our applications. And uh, the first applications were just pretty simple UIs in Visual Basic. You could compose UIs. And we had a contest running who could do the best uh, text editor or uh, to-do application. And there was no logic or database behind it. Uh, it was just uh, playing around with it. And later, I wanted to discover how do you do database, networking, etc. Yeah. To-do application is still a big deal on, on Mac. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so big business, right, back then, with to-dos and Visual Basic. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe I should start one. <laughs> exactly. So um, with Java in the year, uh, you said uh, around 2000, right? It was Java. Which version was it? Oh, I can't remember. I, I think it maybe was 1.3. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Like yes. Mm -hmm. And you liked that or was it a strange experience or what? So you, so you came back from the vacations, you, you booted your computer and then start hacking, right? Right. Um, I, I really like that because um, the book was written quite well and uh, it's a shame I can't remember the title. Um, but they had this example of uh, explaining object-oriented uh, programming uh, paradigms with making hamburgers. And this instantly clicked for me because seeing everything as an object and in relation to each other, that was just how I thought. And I, I was thinking, hey, hey, Java is my thing mm -hmm. and I can do that. And um, yeah, that's how I got in there. Okay, it's interesting which book it was. I don't think it was Java in a nutshell. No. Thinking, thinking in Java, Ozona? No, it wasn't. It, it was 
like 600 pages and uh, if a uh, core java can that be core java core java yeah there was uh, from sun microsystems one yeah that that can be yeah that could be that could be it okay cool <laughs> really and then long ago. then 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 you wrote the hello world in java and uh, what happened then yeah and then i did some php actually um, because web applications were were huge and uh, java didn't have a good answer on that um, so I started developing blogs and forums and uh, a content management system and, uh, yeah, fun stuff like this. <clears throat> but, uh, uh, for, for whom or just for fun? Or? Yeah, just for fun initially. So we always had these little projects, um, like doing a blog together. And uh, th this was before WordPress, right? So we started building our application. And later I earned a little bit of money selling uh, websites to uh, driving schools. And uh, for this, I also wanted to do it uh, with content management systems. So I wouldn't have to um, to do all the coding later on when they wanted to change a, a what kind of cars do we have, when are our vacation uh, sessions. So I could just easily edit um, some of the parameters in a admin UI, and then the website would be updated. Oh, yeah. Interesting. So I did something like this, but with Java. So I have no, no experience with PHP. But one of my first projects was also CMS, but uh, with servlets. Um, yeah. yeah. The funny thing is I never touched PHP since. <laughs> okay. Okay. What's funny is um, from time to time I get uh, PHP developers on the AirHacks uh, workshops in Munich. And they are they really like Java E, which really stunned me. I had never the case where a PHP developer says like Java is too complicated. They really like it. And they, and they like actually trivial things like... They are they are delighted by connection pools, for instance, like this, right? Where they show them collect connection pool is like black magic or something like this. So this is like uh, they are easy to impress, I would say. Yeah, and also EJB. <clears throat> so the, the concept that you have a managed entity or managed bean is really something you don't have in PHP, I guess. And uh, yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know, EJB sound to Java developer complicated. But if I show to to, to PHP developers, they are really delighted. So this was actually interesting experience. Okay, so you did uh, uh, the uh, driving school th thing, mm -hmm. and when you stopped with PHP, was it like uh, something happened to you, or <laughs> what? <laughs> Why you stopped? Um, no, then came the time that I did my Abitur in Germany. So I guess A levels in in UK. And um, I really got a little bit off programming because I had to concentrate on math and English, you know. <laughs> okay. Um, and then I joined university and um, I got into programming again uh, because first I studied um, IT security in Bochum mm -hmm. and we did a lot of cryptography. And oh. um, yeah, it was always fun to implement um, the algorithms that we discussed in university um, on my computer that this helped me to understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, although this is uh, pretty low level stuff. And then later we had Java and uh, databases, etc. So um, this but got- you actually uh, did it? Yeah. So you implemented the algorithms with uh, Java? Yeah, um, no, not with Java at the time. I think it was uh, C first. Okay. So um, we implemented uh, the DES algorithm in okay. C. And then also um, things like hashing, Mm -hmm. Because you really had to understand on a low level how these algorithms work mm -hmm. um, to pass the exams. <laughs> <Okay. clears throat> yeah, but after a year, I got um, 
I got fed up with the university I was uh, <laughs> because the uh, the study program was just crazy and I I didn't belong there. So I guess I need something else. And I looked for um, alternative uh, courses and I found a program offered by IBM, which was a dual study program. Mm -hmm. And there you could, could do your bachelor's degree, but also do internships um, in three months time. So it was always changing. It was uh, theory and then practice. And uh, in IBM, um, I started developing uh, Java applications as well. And this got me really into enterprise Java because until then it was mostly SE. Mm -hmm. And was it the, you know, enterprise, enterprise Java, like with 50 layers and uh, 80 patents or like the pragmatic <laughs> enterprise Java? <laughs> no, it was really, really dogmatic um, okay. back then. Um, we had a lot of interfaces and there was the enterprise service bus and you had the, the large um, WebSphere application server and the clusters, uh, which weren't wrong at the time. But uh, I think we wrote unnecessarily complex code back then, uh, always thinking, okay, we could uh, exchange this module for something else later, mm -hmm. uh, which never happened, right? Yeah. Uh, but you still like that or you were shocked? Um, I, I first... At first, I found it appealing because I came from university and we did UML modeling and I thought, oh, this is so dynamic and uh, well thought through. And hey, we, if we want to reuse something, it's really well encapsulated. Um, but if you look at the code, I always found this is too much code for such a simple thing. And yeah, now this shifted to a more pragmatic approach. And um, as I'm nowadays also responsible for progress in my team, I like uh, if developers concentrate on the business logic and don't uh, do too much of the uh, yeah, interface stuff. <laughs> yeah, the progress, you mean productivity, right? So time to market. Yeah. Okay, very good. So um, what, I, what I found is uh, during the interview, actually, so I interviewed you already on my blog, that you spent some time with DB2. Yeah. And you really like that. So what uh, interests me, so I uh, I always use DB2 somehow because DB2 runs on ES400 and ZOS and many of my clients are running DB2 mm -hmm. and uh, they really like that. So what is one of the killer features or if you would like to sell DB2 to Java programmers, what you will do or why we should care about DB2? Um, well, it's not so much in the interface to Java EE. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe... Um, where does my uh, enthusiasm for DB2 come from? I, I had the opportunity to do an internship in the Ormadon Research Lab, uh, which Where is, is an IBM lab in San Jose. Mm -hmm. so it's right in the Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's settled in a beautiful landscape. And Ormadon is really focused on big data analytics. Mm -hmm. And it's um, this exact lab where the system R came from. So this was the first relational database. And um, the lab really gathers um, the smartest people in database optimization. And uh, I was there for four months figuring out a way on how to efficiently read data from a DB2 cluster into a Hadoop distributed analytics cluster environment. And my mentor back then, uh, this was Dave Simmon, he was the uh, lead architect for the DB2 optimizer. And he told me stories about what's going on under the covers of DB2 that I found uh, really exciting, right? It, it can uh, optimize your, your queries on, on the go during execution to find the best strategy for the quickest results. 
And there's so much thought in this product um, that I thought, hey, this this is uh, this is incredible, and I really like it. Yeah, but I can also understand if developers um, go for easier products like uh, MySQL or they use NoSQL databases if if it makes sense for their business case, right? Yeah, I, I mean, um, I, I like somehow DB2. I don't know why, because of the branding. And, uh, so I was never against uh, DB2. Mm -hmm. I was a little bit up against MySQL because at the beginning there were some trouble with transactions or whatever, but DB2 just worked. But um, I also heard stories from the host developers how great it is. So I was just curious to know why. So you are just, you like DB2 because of uh, efficiency and, and speed, right? Yeah, and um, I appreciate the thought that is going on mm -hmm. into the product. It seems quite old um, but it really isn't in, under the cover there's so much going on so much innovation with each release and uh, i really appreciate what the guys what these guys are doing there mm -hmm. what i found by accident which is really interesting so we use in one project uh, where db2 was also used uh, derby db mm -hmm. and uh, I, I worked with uh, uh, with a um, female developer and she was just uh, perfect with uh, db2 so she she was like the optimizer so real time optimizer with db2 and mm -hmm. uh, she, uh, she had a great experience with as400 and um, and host and db2 on host and then we did something with uh, derby and java on what she found out that it is uh, very compatible with db2 and derby db even uh, supports some optimizer hints so I didn't knew that. So it was like the Derby DB is the, uh, shares some, you know, at least the uh, the syntax is very similar to DB2 at the host. Yeah, and there's also a lot of optimization going into the JDBC driver for Java mm -hmm. um, that tells DB2 um, something about the context uh, of which the application is running in. And uh, it uh, opens the opportunity for DB2 to execute uh, more efficiently and quicker and uh, yeah, that's also a nice story. Yeah, cool. So then, after your uh, vacations in California. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, how Silicon Valley is Silicon? Is it like, you know, uh, high-tech everywhere? What was your impression? Um, my impression was that uh, people there tend to be really high, highly educated mm -hmm. and quite smart. Um, and they also have a culture which is not too too different from European culture, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I really, I really liked it there. Um, the weather is great. The climate is great. Um, yeah, and uh, there's this culture of startups, right? So there's there's everything going on, uh, especially in in the Silicon Valley or in the uh, San Francisco uh, in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just a great place to be for a young engineer, I guess. Cool. So why you came back? Because of a girl? What was? <laughs> no, it, <laughs> it was the food, really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but you could, you know, buy some power bars, and uh, it's enough, right? So. No, honestly, if if I had an offer at the time, I think I would have stayed for a year okay. or two or five. Um, but I had to continue with my studies. Okay. Oh, actually. Mm -hmm. And that was the deal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Perfect. So, and then after your study, what happened then? Yeah, I pretty much stayed with IBM ever since. So um, this is uh, my eleventh year with IBM, oh. mm -hmm. and I had different roles uh, within the company. I started as a technology consultant mm -hmm. and helped uh, industry clients to adopt new technologies and to make their 
um, application application infrastructures uh, cleaner or uh, more modern and to adopt new business capabilities as well right so this was uh, uh, smarter planet e-commerce on demand uh, and you know um, customers are changing they want their products everywhere 24 7 the way they want them and uh, a lot of industries are not prepared for that and um, there's a lot going on to dig to do digitalization and um, yeah i was working in this area and then um, with java um yes with java but very indirectly so i was involved with the web stack mm -hmm. uh, to do business process management mm -hmm. so there's um there's web process server which is java there's the business monitor also java and um yeah but later i got more into the the architecture side mm -hmm. so i w always wanted to build my own solutions right mm -hmm. this was more like consulting and taking a product off the shelf but as I had a background in applied computer science, I always thought, hey, I want to build my own, my own things, mm -hmm. and realize my own ideas. And then I got uh, more and more into architecture and software development. Um, eventually also did my architecture certification. And, um, at Sun or at IBM? No, at IBM. We have the architect profession. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I did the certification there. So. Um, and then for the last five, six years, I guess, um, I'm really doing what I love. So I have a um, small team, a very efficient and, and great team in IBM that is developing industry solutions uh, tailored for our clients. So this is really product development, um, but uh, not taking something off the shelf, but um, mostly starting on, on the greenfield. And uh, we try to build an application that helps our clients to do certain business processes. And uh, we do it just like we want to do it. And that's that's a great part. Perfect. And I think then we met, right? So we know each other for at least, I would say, two, three years or something? Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. I visited your AirHacks workshop mm -hmm. because I got curious. When was it? <laughs> when was it? You know that? Was it three oh. years ago or four years ago? I think three years ago, but okay. I'm not entirely sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I saw your, your your YouTube videos initially. Mm -hmm. I thought, hey, this is uh, this is cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I found out that you do the workshops, and I mm -hmm. asked my my boss, hey, can I go to Munich? <laughs> I would like to to see Adam in action and uh, talk with him and exchange best practices. And he said, yeah, sure, go. <laughs> I remember that because the very first time we already had uh, talks about architecture and design, and at uh, and you had at the beginning a different mindset a little bit, and then yeah. we aligned. I think <laughs> right. <laughs> the more you attended, the more compatible we be became. And um, yeah, okay. Then I know this was three, four years ago. Okay, and then you already used Open Liberty and Java, right? Um, yeah, I think at the time Open Liberty was not released yet, um, so we were using WebSphere Liberty, mm -hmm. uh, which is basically the same, right? It's a commercial version, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, we we tried to adopt the microservice pattern back then because mm -hmm. uh, that was really appealing, and it also helped our um, our business. Uh, problem but yeah you are right i came from the background of doing large monolithic applications on web clusters mm -hmm. and you have a different mindset there 
right? Mm -hmm. And um, this changed into, yeah, the more modern or um, bite-sized uh, paradigm. And um, I really don't like to talk about microservices. I like the, the word right-sized service mm -hmm. because I think sometimes services have to be larger exactly. um, to avoid problem. Actually, and sometimes for, for... it's it's useful to mm -hmm. to cut. Yeah. Yeah, from my perspective, the whole microservice stuff is just stupid because uh, if you focus on business, you will create a service <laughs> yeah. and a small team will maintain that. And then if the application grows, you get more services and you can call them microservices or just, you know, reasonable software development practice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, perfect. And uh, you started three years ago with the IoT project. Mm-hmm. And um, what is actually the name? So I interviewed on my blog, but what is the name of the project? Can you mention that? Yeah, the, the name of the project is IBM Elderly Care. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, again, um, it's a B2B uh, product. So um, most people will never um, experience the product by this name. Um, but we developed the, the product for our clients mm -hmm. and they market it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, It gets different names then. Mm -hmm. But the idea is, um, and now this has nothing to do with Java initially, how can we do, uh, how can we employ modern technology like smart home devices, IoT sensors, to help elderly people to mm -hmm. stay safe in their own homes longer? Mm -hmm. um, because we realize that our society is aging. We have more and more people who grow old. And we have less capabilities to actually care for them the way we should. Mm -hmm. And um, well, IBM not being a care provider, but a technology provider, we thought, hey, what can we do uh, in this space? And we have all this uh, new technology with IoT, uh, cognitive analytics. And um, maybe we can try to detect dangerous situations in a smart home that the elderly person is living in. And then we can try to engage with the elderly person to uh, to resolve the situation. And if they are not able, uh, we can also provide professional assistance by a care, pro care provider or by the family network. Yeah, and this is actually a great idea because uh, it's so human. I think uh, this is a way better, you know, to 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 send the elderly people to senior homes. And if they stay yeah. at home in their own flat, this is just great So with technology. And by the way, the aging thing even happens to me. At the beginning, I was one of the youngest architects. So I was around 20 and everyone, hey, you are 20 and you are already Java architect. And now I'm a <laughs> little bit older. <laughs> and sometimes happens that I'm the oldest in the room. So this is actually a strange feeling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So I will have to look, you know, very, very carefully on your, your technology. You know, it can be very interesting for me soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you will play around with it a lot <laughs> and yeah. not use it like it is intended. <laughs> so you have uh, the sensors at home mm -hmm. and the sensors uh, send data and the data right. has to be gathered somewhere. And the whole thing is built with Java 7, right? Yep. And uh, we're trying to adopt EE8 and MicroProfile at the moment as well. But uh, as of now, it's EE7, correctly. Which and is not a big deal because for me, you know, Java 8 is a little bit better than Java 7, but uh, Java 6 was already perfect for me. So um, 
There's, you know, with Java 8, you can be a little bit more efficient, but it's not like a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, of course, we also use some off-the-shelf products. Um, so the idea is that the um, devices in the home send their data in a real-time stream. So they are really streaming uh, when the events happen. And an event could be a motion detected or uh, we detected a window was opened. And um, yeah, all those sensors um, send their data to the IBM cloud. And we have um, one product which is called Watson IoT Pro um, Platform. Mm -hmm. And this is really a MQTT broker. So it's the Watson, Watson you mentioned. Yeah, it's okay. yeah, it's um, it's part of the Watson portfolio, Watson IoT platform, and um, it's it's for telemetry data. So you can um, you can have large scale connections of uh, IoT devices on the platform. You can receive data. You can do um, rules on it, mm -hmm. and you can also manage your devices. So security is obviously a, a great concern. And Watson IoT platform helps us to do um, a secure connection to the IoT devices out in the field. I have one question. So your devices are streaming the data to the um, IBM cloud. Do you have a kind of cache bro broker or proxy uh, at home? So if you know the connection is not available, that something is cached, or what happens if you know the internet breaks for a moment? Yeah, we do. Um, so there are multiple um, features that we have there. In each mm -hmm. home, there is a home hub. Or a base station, however you want to call it, mm -hmm. and it acts as a gateway for all the individual sensors. Because you can imagine a little motion sensor that is battery operated will not have a SIM card in there and mm -hmm. network. Mm -hmm. It will just send out per Bluetooth or um, different uh, protocols to the base station, mm -hmm. and the base station will forward the data. And the base station also has user features. So if we detect a water leak or a fire. We quickly want to establish a voice call uh, with the call center so the resident gets help. Cool. And um, the base station also has a battery in it, mm -hmm. so it can um, survive energy outages for a couple of hours or days. Mm -hmm. And it also buffers um, the data that is coming. Mm -hmm. And then we also have... Um, a little bit of security on the protocol level. So MQTT has this notion of quality of service. And there's quality of service class two, which means that each message, this is really a pub-sub model asynchronous communication, mm -hmm. each message gets delivered exactly once, but it has to be delivered. So um, mm -hmm. there's a lot of handshaking going on so that we ensure that we don't miss any important uh, events from the home. And uh, the uh, Home Hub, is it written in Java or it can be programmed in Java? Um, no, these are devices that come from our um, business partners and mm -hmm. I actually don't know, but maybe there is a Java version as well. <laughs> no, I just was curious whether yeah. it was already part of your project or not. So the Home Hub, Home Hub communicates mm -hmm. with the clouds and, and right. in the cloud there is now Java. Right. So first the data gets to Watson IoT platform. This is our message bus. Uh, in simplified terms. Mm -hmm. And then behind there, um, there is a Java application um, that consists of different services. And uh, we read data from the bus there and uh, distribute it through the analytics engines that we have. And we also, of course, have to do a lot of um, more simple stuff like who is, who is this apartment, uh, who is the client, um, what sensors are in there, um, 
what uh, metadata do we know about the apartment and um, then all the integration parts. So if we detect an incident through the analytics engines, we need to distribute it to the right recipient. And this could be the family network um, and we have an app for them. Or it could also be the professional service provider uh, who's operating a call center and they have an API where we can deliver incidents as well. So now uh, the, the important question, where Java E7 starts in this picture? Um, Java E7 starts just behind the message bus mm -hmm. to our IoT platform. Mm -hmm. And it ends when we uh, deliver our incident or alert to the app or to the call center. Mm -hmm. and by the way, the call center is also using Java. <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, yeah, you, you built also the call center or? No, this is again, um, this is, uh, these are systems from our client or uh -huh. partners and they have uh, mostly proprietary software that they use for a long time mm -hmm. um, because they are not specifically there for our elderly care solution, but they also do other services and they have systems in place. Okay. So now the question, uh, how the Java E communicates with Watson? Is it a straight GMS or what they are doing there? So there is a library that the Watson IT platform uh, provides. And um, yeah, um, I haven't looked into the source of this library, but I think, um, no, actually, I'm not sure. I don't want to, to tell anyone. No problem. But, uh, <laughs> how <laughs> will you interact my... with the library? Um, yeah, so you, you basically get a message object and then you redistribute that uh, with CDI events first within the listener application. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, um, we have a message bus that is connecting the processing pipeline mm -hmm. and that's JMS. Mm -hmm. And uh, we also have REST services, of, of course, for inter-service communication as well. Is, uh... Which GMS product? So you know the server. What's the name of the server? Yeah, that's uh, that's MQ. So again, yeah. IBM technology. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, no, no problem. But uh, mm -hmm. you set up the MQ in cluster, or was it already there? So you are using MQ as a service, or what is the story here? Uh, you can use it on the cloud. So on IBM cloud, you can just provision your own IBM MQ uh, service, and you get your topics or queues there. Mm -hmm. So we can concentrate more on the application development and less on the infrastructure management, right? So now I think, I suppose, that the Watson library is fault that your war is 5 MB big, right? Um, yes, this and, <laughs> <laughs> and the um, single sign-on, uh, the OAuth and OpenID Connect libraries that we need for a product that you also know very well. Um, there's this connector library, and this is also huge. I don't know why, um, but maybe we can replace that with Sotaria and uh, open. Um, mm -hmm. in, um, in my current project, we use a different product from IBM. It's called Keycloak, and we replace the uh, client-side adapters with uh, MicroProfile, JWT, and Sotaria. Yeah, that's so also you, the plan here. <laughs> so, uh, uh, okay, perfect. So it means um, you follow the thin war approach. Uh, you, yeah. As I interviewed you on my blog, you told me you have 10 wars and none of the wars is bigger than 5 MB, which is fine mm -hmm. because now I know why is it that big. Usually my wars are smaller, but your war is that big because of the third-party libraries, which are reasonable. So this is like, you know, 
uh, this is not like you are gathering common logging and common configuration over the internet. You need to communicate with Watson and right. you need the uh, authentication and this is reasonable, okay? And now you have 10 wars, so I suppose 10 microservices. You know the name of the wars? What's, what, what I'm curious, the responsibility, you know? How, how you, so what's the responsibility of the wars? And if you can remember what the names of the wars are. Um, so yes, of course. Um, so for instance, we have a contract service mm -hmm. that is uh, responsible for managing all um, the master data from our clients and the configuration data. Um, so this is basically uh, our customer on the on the platform. Mm -hmm. um, and the contract manage uh, the contract service manages all those relationships. And then uh, we also have a incident service, which is responsible for classifying incidents, doing um, duplication detection, and uh, forwarding the incidents to the, the call center or the mobile app. Mm -hmm. So these are two examples, yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, the question regarding MQTT, you are not using MQTT directly, right? Um, so Watson IoT platform is MQTT yeah, and the client library is probably using MQTT as well to receive the messages and mm -hmm. um, transfer it to the uh, Java mm -hmm. land. <laughs> but you are not using the MQTT libraries directly, so you're just relying on Watson. Yeah, that's okay. uh, that's a bundled bundled approach. So you have the Watson service and then you get the library for it to connect to it. And we use that because they, uh, the library is professionally maintained and uh, our colleagues can fix all the bugs in it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, What's also interesting, uh, you told me you're also using the boundary control entity structure with different names. So you're using, yep. I think, uh, API service and model, right? Right. And um, what was your experience with that? Or did you follow sim similar patterns uh, in, um, in the past? Or if not, what you did in the past? And what was the reaction of your team to the pattern? To be honest, um, we always had a similar structure to that um, okay. because I think it, it stems from the model controller, view controller pattern as well. So you, we are used to have three different layers mm -hmm. and that's what we always did. And it came natural to my team and we never considered it to be the BCE pattern. It's just how we do it, right? Hey, very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes I get trouble. So in recent project, it happened uh, this year as a proposed BCE again. And the external provider told me the pattern is crap because the whole team now has to really think about the business logic. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw, okay, but I mean, the business logic is somehow important, right? It's like, yeah, but back then we had just, you know, DTOs and, 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 and DAOs and we can just build that, this first and then the business logic came somehow. So they were completely against, and they even mentioned this is not clean code what I am doing, and this is crazy. The, you know, naming uh, packages after domain responsibilities. So, um, and and then I am a little bit, you know, uh, cautious, um, <laughs> <laughs> at least uh, for uh, in the external projects. But if you did uh, always the same, so this is just even better, because uh, yeah, I think this is the only reasonable way actually to structure applications to focus on concepts. And if the concept changes, you will have to refactor the application, which is a very good thing, I would say. I think which will be really bad that um, your concepts and domain logic changes and you don't have to refactor the application because then something is wrong and it is hard to maintain, I would say. Mm -hmm. Very good. Right. Okay. And uh, about your team. So you mentioned your team is great. You also said uh, 
talented developers? Is fun to work with your team? How big is your team? Um, this differs on how we count. Um, uh, the, the people develop who developed the 10 wars. Yeah, those are five people, five mm -hmm. to eight people. Mm -hmm. um, and they are quite young as well. I didn't choose choose them to be young uh, intentionally, but it just happened that way. Okay. <laughs> so whenever we look for a new developer, mostly young guys apply. Um, and uh, they are also diverse. So um, we have uh, girls, we have boys. Um, we have people from different uh, nationalities and uh, cultural backgrounds, and it's it's fun to work with them. And uh, I enjoy also to have a small team. I know that you consider a team of five or eight people already to be large, <laughs> but in my IBM world, a large team is like hundreds of people, and um, a, a small team with five or eight people uh, persons is really more efficient than a large team, I think. Yeah, of course. I mean, five to eight people for 10 wars and uh, application that big is absolutely okay. Mm -hmm. So what, what I see, you know, that eight people are working on a single war. This is what I don't understand. So it's <laughs> like, uh, okay, what they are doing. But um, I mean, um, you could split, you know, the developers across responsibilities and then you will get probably per war, which could be considered as a standalone application, one to two developers, and this is fine. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, about girls at IBM, so what my impression is, there are lots of uh, girls hacking IBM and uh, they are really happy, or not only happy, they are extremely smart. So um, I uh, interviewed um, Emily and uh, what was the other girl from IBM? Erin. Uh, Erin Schnabel. Schnabel, exactly. And, 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 and I mean, you have to really prepare which question you're asking because they are really smart you know it's like and and I had, I had the impression that only at ibm back then at sun you know um i told the story already but uh i had uh, some suggestions <laughs> how EGB <laughs> spec could be could be improved right and uh, there was back then was i think the name of the girl was marina vatkina and they told me okay if you do this you will break this and this and this and this don't work any questions I was like, okay sorry <laughs> the next time i will prepare better so this was like you know like a working specification guru so this was a it's always fun to see that um and uh what's also surprised me you said you have you have young developers and uh but they are using java e you know what i hear a lot is like java e is no more fun uh we would like to, to do something else so what is the feedback from your developers about what you did with Java E? So, I think um, I think they love it. I don't know if they would tell me otherwise. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I think they love it. And I had a couple of guys who came from a JavaScript background, mm -hmm. and they transitioned to Java EE. Mm -hmm. and they told me, hey, this is so great. Everything just works ex as expected. There is specification. You can rely on it. Um, the problems we have are already solved in some kind of way. We don't need to do anything from scratch. We don't have to pull in a thousand libraries from people who we don't know. And um, yeah, I think my team uh, really likes Java. And um, it's also, of course, the, the environment and the tooling that we use, right? So you have um, a debugger, you have a profiler, um, you have your IDE, um, you have all this great documentation and the application server. I think it's it's just a, a good environment to work in and uh, focus more on what you are trying to build and less on how you are building it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is 
actually cool but um this is what i also experience and um and uh from my perspective there are two kinds of developers developers who like to focus on the thing they are building business logic and they love java but uh the problem is the you know the java and whatever we are doing this is actually in background this is like if we do something on the server, we rely that the Linux is there and no one is excited about Linux anymore. And the same is true in this project. We just use Java without thinking about that because uh, there is actually no Java in our minds. We, f we just focus on business logic. And the problem with that is this is boring for many developers because uh, there is no investigation. There are no task forces. There is no no. There is no exciting, you know, developer stuff. You just focus on on boring business logic, and and the other developers they just like to investigate. You know, I, I, in one project they created server from scratch and they say we use best of breed technologies. It's like okay, whether, <laughs> whether I use Jersey or Rest Easy or whatever CXF, I really don't care. I would like just send you know. A JaxRS, uh, something via JaxRS, and in another project they encapsulated. No kidding, this is this is recently this year. They attempted to encapsulate JaxRS with CDI events, but this were not CDI events. It was a homegrown framework, and they told me this is uh, easier to understand for developers because JaxRS in one day could disappear, and, <laughs> and, and the CDI stuff, which was not CDI. This could uh, this this will just persist because they did it and and I say okay, but um, what I should do to you know send a single put or get message and I say okay this is not very easy so you just have to wrap JaxRest to our messaging platform and then you have to implement as two events request and a response event then cast everything three times and then, <laughs> and then you are done I say okay but uh, sorry I, I I don't get it and. You can do this, but I don't know why. So, and, and, and it died, of course, but they were very convincing so, uh, to everyone. So everyone wanted to use the thing, and this would be just terrible. So um, I'm really glad that there are still young developers which just love if something is working, you know, to say, okay, I just use JaxRS without thinking about this. And this is, I think, almost the future. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, Adam, you have to tease, you have to tease Java a bit to them. Um, because what I also observe is that uh, a lot of uh, young developers come from uh, a background of Python because I mm -hmm. think it's popular in university and mm -hmm. uh, especially data scientists love it. And they are hesitant to adopt Java because they heard all those horror stories that you need to write so much boilerplate code to get anywhere and you have all these gazillion classes and then you you need a compiler, etc. And um, I think if you if you show them, okay, this is JAXRS, this is an EJB, here is your G JPA layer, and bam, this is a REST and database and your business logic done. By the way, uh, concurrently and transaction safe, um, they start to understand the point. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, at, at weekend, I'm also again at, at the Hex Zurich event, which is um, Europe's largest hackathon. Okay. And I'm a coach there for IBM. And uh, each year, I'm doing this uh, the third or fourth time now, I'm looking for teams that do their prototype in Java EE. But so far, I haven't found one. <laughs> and I'm really hoping that this week uh, there is a Java team. And uh, if there is one, come to me. I will help you as much as I can. And I think we will win the contest. <laughs> what you should do next year, 
we should announce it uh, upfront and see whether developers will find something. If we find Java E team and they should crush everything, right? Right. They should be faster than everyone else. <laughs> so we should we should do this next year. This is uh, to uh, this year is I think over. But next year, rem remind me this, and we should uh, do some you know campaign to at least find a Java E team which does something. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, so uh, make Java more appealing. Um, this is somehow true. Python, yeah, but. Uh, Python is also a little bit crazy with the formatting, so you, you really have to like it. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, the white spaces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what uh, surprised me is, the, for instance, the more you wait, the more JavaScript becomes like Java. And uh, so for me, is right now in JavaScript land, I almost feel like uh, to JDK one o time. So I, I, I there is no lot of difference. Um, yeah, this, this is also surprising, and uh, everyone likes that. Yeah, okay. ES6 starts to look a lot like Java. Mm -hmm. And what I also think is that the browser starts to look, look more and more like an application server. Yeah. It's, it's crazy what the APIs have. Yeah. Uh, I just recently discovered that there's text-to-speech and speech-to-text in the browser. And I've never thought about uh, that this would be in there. Mm -hmm. And all the other different libraries that you have. So there's just um, the code that you regularly need for your application mm -hmm. ready to go, which is basically the idea of the application server. At least one Chrome tab is about five times larger than an one single Open Liberty uh, instance. Yeah. So uh, yeah. this is crazy. So if you open the browser, you consume more memory than uh, average application server does. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what happens to me this year, because you said you the horror stories, a client asked me to review three microservices. So three microservices in my world would mean three wars. And they were mm -hmm. three wars. Now the question to you. How many jars modules were inside the three wars? Sixteen. <laughs> so I guess you know the total amount of uh, of time around five days with documentation, everything, and and meeting and traveling, and I found one hundred twenty jars inside the three wars. Okay. And it took me. I apologized uh, three weeks to look through the code, and of course. Most of the code was empty, emptied in directions and some crazy patterns and uh, version names in the packages and everything doubled and then twice. And uh, why I got the actually the assignment because it took longer and longer to introduce new business logic and uh, the, the, the client asked me, you know, Java is just yeah, too, uh, is not that productive and they look at something mm -hmm. else. It's like, okay, if you would introduce, you know, 120 ES6 modules in JavaScript to have a button on screen, you will be even slower. I mean, this is uh, this really depends what you are doing, right? So, and this is what I'm a little bit afraid. I don't know why there are lots of crazy architects out there, and they damage you know the whole developer experience because if someone you know forces you to build twenty layers to access a single table, then you cannot be productive. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. um, I'm surprised that there was no ear in the context. No, no, they were already at war. <laughs> <laughs> they were modern. Um, they wanted also to introduce reactive programming to mitigate the situation, but it's oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, this would be with reactive. Okay. I would say no. <laughs> additional twenty jars wouldn't won't make difference in this project, you know. But um, <laughs> so, what interests me about your project right now? Um, you have the cloud, and you probably is somehow Docker based, right? Yeah. At the moment, we um, are using Cloud Foundry. Mm -hmm. which I think internally is using Docker. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but we are transitioning to, um, to Kubernetes because on the IBM cloud, you can get a managed Kubernetes cluster. Cool. Mm -hmm. And then of course, yeah, you have containers mm -hmm. and that's our stack. Yeah. Because, um, you, you shipped the base image with open Liberty to, uh, to the cloud and then daily you just ship the war, right? Right. Yeah. So this is the Finvar approach. Um, yeah. The base layers are already in the registry, and we only need to update the uppermost level, level, which is only the var. Because why I'm asking, you told me that you have about 10k deployments, 10,000 deployments you had. Um, yeah, we, we are deploying like crazy. <laughs> uh -huh. This is very good. I mean, because it's also uh, what I believe in that we should leverage the platform, you know, as much as possible and do as little as possible in your local machine, you know, to be sure that it actually works. So, yeah. how fast is the deployment? Oh, a couple of seconds, maybe. It, it's really fast. And um, the, the the way we um, why we do this is um, we have a development stage, mm -hmm. and most of the deployments go to the development stage, of course. And we then automatically execute a bunch of test cases for each of the um, the services that we have, mm -hmm. so we can assure quality. And then uh, the staging to um, the test and um, production environments are, of course, uh, less frequent because we have to be a little bit careful when we introduce new features. We have to prepare our ecosystem for that, our partners, their IP APIs, etc. And um, there is a more traditional release cycle. But on the dev stage, um, each of my developers is probably uh, deploying a couple of times per day. So, Oh, very good. And... Um how it works so you have uh, local unit tests so yeah then they are if they pass they will uh, push to create the image and push to the docker registry right yeah right and uh, the local maven build with docker push how fast is it a uh, couple of seconds again mm -hmm. i think um It, it never takes longer than a minute, I guess, but mm -hmm. it also depends on your uh, network connection a little bit. <laughs> and if you are pulling all the libraries fresh or if you get them from the cache, right? So in, in Maven, you need a lot of stuff to build. Mm -hmm. And that push, okay. So um, yeah, the push is, is not really the problem. And you have like a push hook, which uh, automat automatically kicks in Jenkins pipeline or something? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, we use an internal GitHub repository. So mm -hmm. IBM has GitHub for uh, GitHub Enterprise. Mm -hmm. uh, we have our code there. And it's linked to a Jenkins mm -hmm. um, build pipeline. Um, so we can do all the um, uh, configuration for the stage. Uh, and then we can also trigger the, the test cases as well. Mm -hmm. and, and how fast is the pipeline? Uh, Adam, I don't really know. I would have to ask one of my developers, but it's fast. <laughs> okay, no, and it's like hours yeah. or minutes or seconds. No, no, no. This is uh, in, uh, minutes. At minutes, the, uh, yeah. This yeah. is also it's hard it's to be seconds. Hours. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. If it was hours, we would have something different, I guess. No, I mean, I saw it frequently in <laughs> projects where the night was not long enough, you know, to perform the pipeline. Yeah, and I think. Um, The, the most uh, time-consuming part is to run the test cases, right? Yeah, the system tests. Yeah, mm -hmm. most uh, some of them you can't parallelize really well mm -hmm. because we try to use data that was created in a step before, etc. And then um, there's always uh, network latency, and um, this is what consumes the time. It's not the development, uh, the deployment. Mm -hmm. So, um, open liberty. 
So mm-hmm. you don't, you are not only, I would say, an expert, but you really like that. So uh, why why I know that during the air hacks in Munich, if someone had a question about open liberty, you just uh, stepped in and explained everything every, very well, and <laughs> you provided the uh, Docker files for open liberty at the Docklands open source project, which I maintain, and they are also used a lot, and uh, I also use them if I tried if I if I use open liberty, mm-hmm. and um, actually open liberty should took off as Glassfish uh, took uh, off uh, several years ago because it's just like a completely different approach to application servers. It is crazy fast and it is modular, but modular without inconvenience. So how to tell it? So if you have like, you know, config XML, I think is the name of the uh, of the XML, and you can say, I would like to have Java E8. There is one string and then it just pulls all the dependencies and you have Java E8. And then what you can do, and this is the most interesting part. This is actually with what I, what I didn't had uh, uh, on my, on my horizon is that um, you can mix microprofile with Java eight. So this is yep. this this I, I don't know. I just didn't saw that, and I ignored microprofile because okay, who cares about you know custom uh Payara micros or uh uh what is this thorntail or, or swarm or red hats uh jbosses and um java e8 and 7 are just good enough but what zum beispiel, uh, zum beispiel this is for example <laughs> yeah what um open liberty or uh or uh, glassfish at payara did they just combined both and this is this is just uh, the killer feature so now you have java 7 with microprofile 1.3 and you have all the goodness from MicroProfile combined with Java 7 without any external dependencies and on stock application servers with stock licenses and stock support. And this is crazy. So since then, I have to say, I use MicroProfile in all my projects. And the classic one is, of course, Metrix. But small things like you know the config properties, the configuration, where you can just, from the deployment configuration, pull the configuration files or... Uh, health checks. So these are uh, open APIs. So th- they are extremely pragmatic, very thin, and very well documented. And I think the trick is to combine microprofile with Java E. Yeah. You exactly. also you are also doing that, right? So you are com- so <clears throat> your Open Liberty uses Java seven plus microprofile stuff. Yeah, um, I think of microprofile like an incubator for Java EE. And I hope um, that the features we have in MicroProfile um, will at some point transition to the Java EE um, standard because this might help other people to adopt them as well. But for now, I'm quite happy with the mixture that you just described. <clears throat> and it's just the way we do it. In, in Liberty, you can just open your server XML, uh, add a line um, feature, MicroProfile 1.3, for example, and uh, at runtime, Open Liberty loads um, these functionalities so you can use them in your application. And we think of it as um, Java EE is the base layer. And if we need something from MicroProfile, we pull it in. Yeah. And this need could be the monitoring, um, the health check API, the fault tolerance features, uh, configuration, etc. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So I'm a little bit afraid with the Jakarta E thing that it would be too bureaucratic and too slow. Yeah. And what I like with the micro profile, they already had four releases. 
So um, I wouldn't have nothing against if MicroProfile would take over over the time, you know, that you get uh, more and more standard stuff in MicroProfile. And <laughs> then if you can iterate faster, no one cares, I would say. What we need is just uh, servers where my clients can buy support for or which are in the clouds. And uh, and whether they run MicroProfile or Java E, I don't care. But what I don't like to have in future Again, like now that I will use MicroProfile plus 50 megs of external dependencies to build a simple applications. This is what should not happen. But it looks better and better, I would say. Yeah. And I was really excited when IBM open sourced Open Liberty mm-hmm. because now you can share it with everyone. Nobody needs to worry about licensing. And if you do go to production with your app based on Open Liberty, you still have the option to buy professional support 24-7 around the clock, uh, around the world. And this is uh, this is just a bonus, right? But you can start for free and don't have to worry about licensing. Yeah, but uh, what's really important, then if you start with Open Liberty, you can then buy support without changing anything, you know? You don't have to download yep. something else. So this is crucial because what I, what I don't like that you just have an open source and commercial product then you start with the open source project pro- product and to buy support, you have a switch to something else with different libraries and this is strange. But this approach that you could just buy on top of Open Liberty support, this is, I think, the, 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 the professional way to go. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, regarding design, I probably know already the answer, but I assume you don't have interfaces, factories and uh, something like this, right? Too, too much? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, these days are over. Um, I think I would introduce them if they really made sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, if you look at it from a pragmatic perspective, um, you find less and less uh, occasions where an interface would really make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are no impulse, unfortunately, in your project. No. <laughs> <laughs> and what is the feedback from your developers? So they, they learned at the university probably something else, and now they are forced to work without interfaces and, and nice patterns. So they just like it, or you have some discussion with them, or what was the... No, um, they pretty much share the mindset, and they enjoy that the code is much more readability. Uh, the readability of the code is much better. Mm-hmm. And um, if we have new developers joining the team, it takes less time for them to understand what the application does because it, the code is really aligned with the business business problem that we try to solve. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to understand all this crazy um, layers and abstractions and um, things like this bef- uh, before you start actually mm-hmm. developing a feature or fixing a bug. Okay. Um, last question regarding AHEX. So you attended several times, and you had uh, you were very interactive with the attendees. And uh, what surprised you the most? So there, you have some, you know, I think all the attendees at AirHex they are in relation with Java E. So you had some discussions, and there was not lots of breaks, but at least you know there were some informal breaks. So what surprised you the most at the AirHex? Um, well, surprising. I don't know, but um, inspiring, I guess. So I'm a community person, right? And I love to uh, discuss with developers and see how they solve their problems. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> what I find exciting is that um, they all get the idea of um, we have to write applications um, with less, less complexity. We can use the platform as it is. Uh, we don't need to introduce libraries and frameworks and abstractions. Mm-hmm. And... Um, what is interesting as well is that uh, 
the practices that uh, I think we don't need anymore. Everyone agrees. And in the evening, you start to discuss or during the workshop as well. And uh, people tell you stories about how they used to build applications. And you just think, okay, yes, I have been there as well. Um, and um, I'm glad that uh, these times are over and we do more more simple stuff yeah, or more um, precise stuff, I would mm -hmm. say. That's why. Recently, there was one attendee. So I have uh, lots of uh, interesting stories. And I don't know whether you attended the AirHack edition, but uh, the attendee told me so um, uh, that uh, he is forced to uh, develop uh, fast applications by law. So I forgot <laughs> actually what it is, but uh, uh, in the area where, where he is working with Java E, they have to deliver the all requests within a half a second or so. Otherwise, uh, this is uh, this is would be illegal. <laughs> wow. And this was a European company. I actually forgot what it was. This surprised me. I didn't knew that such a such a law exists, right? So mm -hmm. this is a for me. What's really interesting is from how many sectors. So. How much is going on in Java E? I don't. I, I'm just a single person. I don't see it. But uh, after each, you know, Airhex uh, edition, I just see this is like you know crazy what people are building with Java E. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So what I would like to to know, right? Uh, how do people can find you? And is it possible to hire you as IBM consulting for Java E help or uh, <laughs> or or your team or how it works? <clears throat> well, of course, yeah. <laughs> so, um, in the order of the questions, how you can find me? Um, you can find me on Twitter. Mm -hmm. My handle is tn sasse mm -hmm. t n s a s s e. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. And um, yeah, this is the best way to contact me, both of the channels. Um, yes, of course, you can hire IBM for Java consulting. Um, and they, they will get your team or the interface pattern team? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, they will get somebody like me. Um, okay. Yeah, and how can you do that? I'm, I think uh, people who hire IBM know how to approach us. Um, okay. If you don't have a client rep, um, please visit ibm.com and uh, check out the, the channel there. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, you can get help with your Java projects, of course, yeah. Okay, Otien and Sasse and LinkedIn. And uh, are you talking in upcoming conferences? Um, no, I talked a lot this year. Um, not so much on developer conferences, but on industry events. Okay. Um, I will be on the JCon. But uh, only as a participant, you can grab a coffee with me if you'd like. Just mm -hmm. uh, say hi. And of course, also at Hex Zurich, um, where I will also introduce the IBM Cloud uh, briefly to the participants. Um, but uh, there's no upcoming talks from me. Okay. Uh, yeah. So then, thank you a lot. And uh, let's do an update in one year or something. Yeah, I'd love that. Okay, bye. Bye.